Letters and mutants. I am Tombstone the Dead Man, and this is my fellow Avenger, Super Psy Guy. What up? What's good, Super Psy Guy? You know, uh, re-watching some of the Phase 1 movies? I did the same thing, because I needed a fresh take for uh, this particular episode, um, because uh, this episode we're going to be talking about, you know... The good, the bad, and, you know, controversial. The ugly. <laughs> Which would be the ugly, right? <laughs> the controversial stuff about Marvel's uh, Phase, Phase 1. one. Movies. Yeah. Um, because, you know, nostalgia plays tricks on your mind a lot of times. So, it's sometimes it's good to go back and look at those things that you ranked a certain way and see if it still holds up. You know, so, and not not just that too, but like even some of the best movies mm-hmm. have things that you look at after. It's like that could have been done better. Exactly, exactly. And Marvel movies are no exception to that. Exactly. Um, we're gonna do all of the phases on this episode. We're gonna start, of course, with Phase One. But before we get into any of that, I got to we got we got news to do. But I also want to talk about, I recently caught up with uh, the Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel comic oh, book. Oh, yeah. Dude, About time. Dude, listen. They did a really good job rehabilitating that that entire line. Like, adding those extra people in there, the supporting cast, that shit does a lot to humanize Carl again. Because, you know... Oh a lot, yeah. A lot of people felt like after they did that civil war thing and it she seemed so out of character, you know. And like one of the story arcs there was still kind of rough in that regard, but yeah. as a whole they have done real well with this run. Yeah. Like you said, like that supporting cast, which is something I've been arguing for too, is like it keeps her grounded. Facts. Facts. I found them to be amazing. Um, I've always been a fan of Jessica Drew, and I always felt like they didn't use her enough in the comic books. I've been a fan of hers since I was a kid, you know, and, you know, that was Spider-Woman, right? But they didn't use her as much, so I didn't have as many things to, you know, geek out about with her. Seeing the way they used her, they used her as supporting cast in here, She's fired. The way they write for her, that's fire. I like her just like that. It's not just that. It's like the whole supporting cast. Like, you're seeing War Machine, like James Rhodes there yep. on a regular basis. Yep. yep, You have Jessica Drew, but you have Jessica Jones as well. Exactly. And you have former villain turned hero, like kind of rehabilitated, mm-hmm. Hazmat. Yeah. Who was, hasn't really had a lot going on for her since the... Uh, uh, Civil War stories. Facts. Which is where she came around in in the first place. Was right. She was running with a crowd that was kind of not necessarily good. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. They, they worked on trying to rehabilitate her and they always kept tabs on her because even though she never went evil per se, she never really rehabilitated well either. Right. Right. They just kind of kept tabs on her, and working her into this too is like, man, they've they've done really well 
with expanding her as a character. They really have. They really but have. But just also, like you said, with Jessica Drew, they've done a lot of good stuff, too. Mm-hmm. I like the sense of humor. I like, you know, just her, the, her entire attitude is appreciative. And then, you know, the fact that they got Curl's half-sister in there. Yeah, L'Oreal. L'Oreal. She's a fucking badass, man. She is a badass. And I'm interested in seeing just how far that's going to go because um, she's now the accuser, one of the accusers, right? She's got Ronan's spot. Speaking of which, um, I'm drawing a blank. What happened to Ronan? Did he die? Did he get killed? I think he died a while ago, but I mean, it's one of those things where he'll be back. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those big characters. He's always kind of been around. He's always been a big threat and also a big help. He's he's involved in too many cosmic storylines that... It's a fact. They're, they're not going to keep him dead. I agree. He, and he's too good of a character to, like, sit on the sidelines for a long period of time. This, this I, I kind of put in the category of further character development. You, you, you never really have a character until you die, right? So, yeah. you know what I'm saying? That's how it usually works in comic books. But, um, no, nah, man, I, I was pleasantly surprised at all of that. Um I really like what they did. Uh, I, I hope people aren't so um, caught up. Because, I mean, it happened to me with Spider-Man. I stopped reading Spider-Man for years after that Clone Saga. So I'm hoping people will give it a chance, you know, and go to the book. I don't know what the sales are looking like, but, man, that story was dope. The story, it was, it was, it's dope. It's just, if you like, if you like... Comics. Story. Yeah, if you like that, that whole yo, it's you, you would have to appreciate. No matter what you think about the character itself, you would have to appreciate the story. It's good storytelling all the way around. Um, so let's get into some of these news stories. Um, I'll let you get the first one. All right. Well, for the first one, mm-hmm. we have Chris Conrad cast as Vigilante in the Suicide Squad spinoff. Peacemaker. Wow. Because the reviews or like the early reviews of what they've seen from Warner Brothers mm-hmm. or the trailers and everything else, mm-hmm. Peacemaker's kind of been the standout sort of like the standout character. Yeah. Like he's been heavily memed and everything else, and John Cena apparently loves playing the character and like <laughs> loves the script and everything. So Warner Brothers gave James Gunn the go-ahead to make an HBO Max TV oh, series spin-off based around Peacemaker. That's fine. So that's what's happening. So now they've cast Chris Conrad as Vigilante. That's pretty dope, man. That's pretty dope. Wait a minute, so is Vigilante going to be in the... Uh... No, not in Okay, Suicide okay, alright, just checking. He, he's just in the spin-off of that, because from what I gather the Peacemaker show is going to come after yeah. the Suicide Squad. Yeah, makes sense. So it starts off, the cast of James Gunn's and HBO Max's Peacemaker series is growing as it readies itself for production. Now the series has found an actor to play the DC Comics character of Vigilante in the form of Chris Conrad. Conrad is best known for his work in Perpetual Grace, 
Limited, Patriot, and 1993's Airborne. The actor also played Johnny Cage in 1997's Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Now he will be suiting up as the combat-ready vigilante character in the upcoming series, which is written and directed by Suicide Squad's James Gunn, with John Cena playing the titular role. Vigilante, real name Adrian Chase, first appeared in the New Teen Titans 23 back in September of 1982. When the Suicide Squad was in production, a rumor suggested Idris Elba would actually be playing this character. But at DC Fandom, it revealed that Elba will be playing Bloodsport. Right. Conrad's casting as Vigilante was revealed by Warner Media along with additional new cast members and characters. Daniela Brooks will play Leota Adebayo. Robert Patrick will be Augie Smith. Hmm. And Jennifer Holland is reprising her undisclosed role of Amelia Harcourt, which will be seen in Suicide Squad. Cena plays Peacemaker, and Steve Aguirre checks in as John Economos. Gunn writes all eight episodes and will direct its premiere along with several others. So I guess he's not directing every episode, mm-hmm. but... Mm-hmm. Um, Gunn's work on Peacemaker will precede his work on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Interesting. While details of Peacemaker are being kept under wraps, the series will explore the origins of the character that Cena will play in the upcoming film. A man who believes in peace at any cost, no matter how many people he has to kill to get it. The Warner Media said in a press release, the series will extend the world that Gunn is creating in the Suicide Squad movie, which is scheduled to be released in theaters by Warner Brothers on August 6th, 2021. You know, it's interesting. Peacemaker series is expected to hit HBO Max in the fall of 2021. So basically, oh, shit. the first episode is going to come pretty quickly after the movie. Right. Now, something hilarious is, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before, but I'm a huge fan of Moon Knight Core on Facebook. They take Moon Knight comic pages, and they just, like, rewrite them, and they just do a bunch of stupid shit Shit with it. it. Right, right. It's hilarious. Right. Uh, One of the guys who did one of the other Core pages that does a lot of the same comedy in the similar one has done a Peacemaker Core called Peacemaker Core. That's that's probably hilarious. hilarious. And a lot of the early ones, mm-hmm. they didn't even edit the scripts. You gotta realize <laughs> that Peacemaker in the '80s was literally a meme. Right. That's, right. His lines were literally a meme. So it's like no need to even rewrite. He, the guy was like, "Yo, it's like he he's done some of the stuff now, but it's like oh, he posted a lot of the early panels and is like, guys, I'm not even editing this. This guy <laughs> is." actually like this <laughs> this is the 80s dc 80s version of peacemaker holy shit <laughs> so it's like if you need a good laugh and you want to find a few extremely out of context pages right and panel, right right, but right still i want to find out a little more i would highly recommend that it's funny because um so with with the vigilante uh character DC actually has another character named Vigilante too. That's like a cowboy or some shit. So you know, originally when I saw the um, the headline of this, I was thinking to myself, 
fuck is they putting the cowboy in there for? <laughs> like, because my first time uh, seeing the cowboy was off Justice League Unlimited. So, you know, don't get me wrong. He's cool as far as what the, what the things they had him doing in the cartoon. But I don't think that shit would really work. So I was like, this will be interesting. Let's see what the fuck they're going to do. And now I find out after seeing the picture, it's this vigilante. I'm like, oh, this is going to be uh, hilarious. And I look, I'm looking forward to the HBO Max universe thing they're doing over there. I think that's just going to be epic. I think I think that's going that's a great platform for them to go in and not really have to censor as much. So yeah, I, I'm with it. Um, the next story, Keanu Reeves says, "Wait for it, wait for it." Constantine Two is coming. <laughs> Yes, sir. So, um, get, as we get into the story, uh, Constantine 2, a follow-up to the 2005 movie starring Keanu Reeves, is in the works according to Peter Starmare, who played Lucifer in the film. Now, um, I thought he did a great, even though he, his role was like very small, that depiction of Lucifer was pretty damn dope. I had never seen a depiction of him like that before. You know, so I thought that he he reminded me of some Miami mobster, <laughs> some really savage Miami mobster. So the story says, um, Constantine two follow up to the 2005 movie starring Keanu Reeves is in the works, according to Peter Stormer, who played Lucifer in the original film. Uh, I'm not pronouncing this right, so I'm gonna say Stormer. Stormer, who has also appeared in Fargo, Armageddon, American Gods. John Wick Chapter 2, and a number of video games, including Destiny and Destiny 2, was a standout in the DC Comics adaptation. Despite being panned by critics and comic book fans alike upon release, Constantine has been reevaluated in recent years. That's true. Especially since Reeves has experienced a major career resurgence due to the John Wick franchise. Rumors of a sequel to the Reeves version have swirled for years, but they seem to be squashed when it was announced J.J. Abrams was producing a reboot at Warner Brothers. Despite this, Reeves and director Francis Lawrence, who went on to helm a number of the Hunger Games movies, hinted that if a sequel were ever to be greenlit, they'd both be keen to return to make it. With producer Akiva Goldsman adding that he'd make a sequel tomorrow um, at this year's Comic-Con at home. What what the hell is that? Is that the that's not fandom, right? No, it I, it was a Comic Con thing that they just basically did a Virtual. online version of it. Oh, okay, um, it continues now. Stormare has seemingly confirmed Constantine Two is in fact happening. He has posted an image of himself as Lucifer and Constantine on Instagram with the accompanying caption "Sequel in the works." Stormare is the first person directly involved to confirm plans for a sequel, and hopefully his post is correct. Though it would be strange if the actor was posting without having at least been contacted to reprise, right, exactly, reprise his role. You can see the Instagram post announced in the news uh, below, and they have a picture of him in there. Dude, like, he just reminded me of some, some swarmy <laughs> Miami mobster dude. Um, 
If Stormare is in fact correct about the sequel, the news is huge for fans of the original. Constantine has long been seen as ripe for a sequel, and with Reeves returning to his action sci-fi roots with the John Wick franchise, as well as reprising the role of Neo in The Matrix 4, now is the perfect time to put a sequel into production. There have been hints in recent months that DC and the WB might be considering making Constantine 2, with a video released at DC Fandom seeming to confirm the original movie is part of the DC Marvel multiverse alongside other properties like Watchmen. See, this is how they can do that. So there will be some people that might feel a way because they go, oh no, we the, the Constantine that they made that one season of, which I enjoyed. I liked it a lot and I thought that guy was perfect in that role. He was very much like the comic book version of Constantine, right? But you'll have some fans that will say, oh well, um, this version of Constantine is not that like the comic book version. And you'll have even more of them saying this version of Lucifer isn't like the Lucifer that Constantine beefs with, but it's a multiverse. So all of this fits in perfectly. Um, Well, maybe not perfectly, but there's an explanation ready available right there so that you don't have to uh, waste your time thinking about that too much. Um, To continue, uh, let's see, where was I at? Oh, yeah, um, hopefully... Whenever Constantine 2 is made, the director and star are allowed to make it a hard R, agreed. The first film was given an R rating despite the director and producers working hard to make it PG-13, a decision that Lawrence said screwed his chances of doing well at the box office. But, as seen with Logan, Deadpool, and Deadpool 2, the appetite for more adult-themed superhero movies is greater these days. And a bloody, violent, R-rated Constantine 2 would be perfect for the source material. Hopefully, more official news about the sequel is released soon, including confirmation of Reeves' casting. So this is good news, right? You looking forward to this? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is good. Of course, I'm I'm also just a Keanu Reeves fanboy, so that's not necessarily uh, (laughs) saying anything, but man, do I love... That, that was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Yo, and I did, and mind you, at the time, I had read some Constantine stuff, not a lot. And I knew this wasn't exactly like the comic book version, but that didn't stop me from enjoying the movie. So much so that I had to purchase it. I went and I had to go out and buy it. It was it was good. Um, I just, I, I'm really, you know, you know how it is. Sometimes certain things are made for certain periods of time. And I think he may have been right. Them giving Constantine an R rating might have messed up, you know, his box office stuff a little bit. But shit has changed now. People want that shit. They want the gritty comics that we know to be gritty, to be gritty on screen, right? So, yeah, like, by all means, make this an R rating. It's going to do great. Um, So what's the next story? Uh, next up, Punisher's John Bernthal makes it sound like season three of Punisher could actually still happen. What? Now, the one thing with that would be it would end up going through Marvel Ooh. instead of Netflix. If it goes through Marvel instead of Netflix, it'll be on Hulu. Well, it'll have to because yeah. they canceled their contracts, right? Right. They canceled all the right. Contracts with Netflix, and if it happens, it still won't be until 
early to middle of next year before they could even start setting everything up to do this because that's when the well that's even like casting writing everything else because part of it the cancellation involved a two-year exclusivity right right that's right that's right and since punisher and jessica jones were the last ones canceled yeah and that was in like may of 2019 Mm -hmm. we have to wait until the may of 2021 before they can even start working on this as a project wow so it's marvel is known for making great casting decisions on the big and small screens and john bernthal's frank castle is the biggest and bloodiest chef's kiss of the bunch (laughs) while one's mileage may vary on netflix's the punisher as a whole i happen to love it through rose-tinted glasses bernthal's excellence in the titular role is pretty undeniable yeah The biggest blow of that cancellation was the idea that The Walking Dead may never play Frank again. But it sounds like the ever-optimistic Bernthal is giving fans hope that his Punisher could indeed return somewhere for Season 3 or potentially in an MCU film of some kind. That would be amazing. Even if the world weren't still being wrecked by COVID-19, it's not likely a Punisher project would come into existence in the nearest future, all things considered. But because the Marvel fandom is one that never stops hoping for more from their favorite actors and characters, Bernthal was asked about his possible future with Frank Castle while appearing in a video interview on the Geek House show. To hear him talk about it, it's not a matter of if the Punisher is coming back, it's a matter of when. Dope. And there's been a lot of rumors that, like, Fage and a bunch of the other big Disney guys really loved Bernthal. I did. There was a lot of rumors of them working on something for him anyways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was like, even that was even before they canceled everything as they were moving everything to Disney plus. Yeah. So given the time frame and everything else, it's, it's possible. Right. But Bernthal's exact words were, look, man, I think with that, there's always hope. It's unbelievably humbling how much people sort of responded to this version of Frank. And I can't tell you how much it means to me because he means so much to me. He's in my blood. He's in my bones. For me, it's really not a question ever with this kind of stuff about whether you get the opportunity to do it or not. I think too many people are focused on trying to get opportunities in this business. And for me, it's more about what you do with the opportunity you have. Hmm. So it's not about whether we do it. It's about getting it right and doing the version that the fans really deserve. So we'll see. Facts. Facts. And that, that's one of the things, too. When he first got cast for Daredevil Season 2, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Apparently, after he got cast, he started going to a bunch of the local comic shops in... Uh, L.A. and started buying up a bunch of com- uh, Punisher doing comics. His doing his homework. Doing his homework. He went in, was talking to uh, the owners and the clerks and everything. A couple of them recognized. Like, wait, aren't aren't you? Didn't you just get cast? He's like, yeah. It's like, so what are you here for? It's like, well, I want some Punisher comics. Which ones? <laughs> like, well, what are your favorite ones? Right. Like, that was apparently an actual question. Like, what are your favorite Punisher runs? And I'll buy that entire run. That's what I want. Like. Damn it. He, he straight up wanted to do the best Punisher he could for the fans. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, when, you know when I knew that um, he was he was going to be good for that role. The moment he got cast and they announced it, I instantly went back to that scene in Walking Dead where uh, the farmer um, was hiding 
a bunch of damn zombies in yeah. his barn. The way he went off, I was like, yo, yeah, he can do <laughs> he can do, he can do this shit. He can do this shit. So impressive. Yeah. It's like both the Punisher and Jessica. Oh, I was wrong. It wasn't May. It was February. Okay. But yeah, both the Punisher and Jessica Jones were formally canceled back in February 2019. So we're still three to four months away from the end of the two-year exclusivity hmm. clause. Hmm. Okay. At, at that point, the studio was allegedly able to bring Frank Castle back to live-action projects, but it's obviously not clear if Kevin Feige has any plans for that. Right, right. Not only is Marvel's theatrical future completely up in the air, along with everything else, but the company still has yet to prove it can pull off episodic <laughs> television with the upcoming WandaVision. First of all, I'm taking, ex- I'm taking exception to this. Um, I actually enjoy Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I didn't like um, the first half of the first season. True. But once yeah, I stomached it through it, well. yeah, once I stomached it and got through it, Dude, I I thought it was dope. <laughs> I thought it was but again, dope. It was that also wasn't necessarily uh, Marvel. Yeah, it was Marvel Television. Action. Yeah, that was Marvel Television. It, it, it's different. And yeah, so it was a bit different. But even then, like the movies they've done are pretty episodic in a way. True. That's a fact. So, that's a fact. So, I mean, it's obviously different because of format, because of movie, right? Movies versus television and everything else, but. At this point, you have to give them the benefit of a doubt. Yeah, I agree. Their worst movies are only bad by comparison to the rest of Marvel. Right. You can compare <laughs> right. it to like the right. other movies that were released that year, and they were still pretty damn exactly. good movies. Exactly, exactly. Uh, coming out of The Punisher Season 2, both Bernthal and showrunner Steve Lightfoot were absolutely game to continue the story for at least another season. That bonkers final season scene in season two would have been pretty pointless otherwise. It's just too bad neither of them were in charge of Marvel TV or Netflix at the time. Bernthal continued in that vein, saying, I mean, all of those decisions are made in rooms that I'm not invited to, and that's okay with me. I've got great stuff going on, and I'm enormously blessed to have been or to have enough work that's exciting to me and fulfilling to me. But Frank's always there. He's always a part of me, and when we get the call to go, I'll be ready. <laughs> and I'll make sure that I do everything I can to make sure that we do it right, or we won't do it at all. Dope. So it's like, well, Bernthal isn't in charge of the character and doesn't have final say over where things could go. It sounds like he would very quickly turn, a, or he would very quickly turn a Punisher project down if it didn't mm-hmm. mesh with what his ideals were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Turning down a bad Punisher series is obviously not the same as bringing a good Punisher series to life, but any port in the storm, I guess. <laughs> Let us know in the hole below if you'd like to see Bernthal return, and then it's just a poll on the site. Like, yeah, whether yeah. you want it as a third TV season. Uh, it's a dumb a, poll because. As a movie, or we need a new actor in the role. It's the dumb poll. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. Um, it's like, honestly, I, I'm still, I love Bernthal. He, he's ended up taking over my number one Punisher, mm-hmm. but I still am very partial to uh, Thomas, Thomas Jane. Jane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I think he really killed that. And I think he did. I think my only issue with that first movie. Those movies were not necessarily his. No, it wasn't him. General 
campiness of yes. the writing. Yes, right? that's it. Because he is evident, evidenced by that um, little uh, dirty, laundry. Website, dirty laundry. That that little that little skit. If you have not seen that, go and watch that, and you'll understand why it wasn't Thomas Jane that made the movie campy. It was the writing. It was the direction they decided to go with it creatively. When he, if he wants to do hardcore Punisher, he can do hardcore Punisher. He he can absolutely do it. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't be mad if either if they went back to Thomas Jane. But knowing how much both of these actors love this character, it's obvious, right, that I think it's a win either way, but I would just like John um, John Bernthal to stay I, in there. I think it'll be Bernthal, or it'll be a completely new person. It's yeah. one of the... Right. Because, it's like again, as much as I love Thomas Jane, he's getting up he there is. in age. He really he's, is. If they do an old man Frank storyline, right. <laughs> right, right. Thomas Jane would be perfect. Punisher the end. Like that would be yeah. <laughs> that would be dope. Because they've done an old man punish or yeah. old man castle punisher yep. storyline. Or if they even do like the cosmic ghost rider, which is Punisher that will be dope as shit too. in the future type thing where He's not necessarily, he's still muscular, but he's not necessarily in shape. Like right. He's still got the dad bod gut. He's got, right. you know, the longer white hair, scraggly. Like, if they do something like that, Thomas Jane he could do that. would fit it a lot better. But if you're going from, like, a more modern thing, still doing, keeping it fresh and newer, you'd yeah. almost need John Bernthal because he's still, he's younger He's a lot more in shape and mm-hmm. prepared for that, for the stresses and rigors. For the physicality of that, of that shit. Thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely, keep your fingers crossed. Although, I think Marvel Studios would be pretty stupid not to. Um, to reuse to, them. Not to use them. To reuse yeah. all, the, all the guys, let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, final story. Patton Oswalt to write Black Hammer anthology series for Dark Horse Comics. Hmm. That's interesting. So, uh, Patton Oswalt is joining the Black Hammer universe. Monday afternoon, Dark Horse Comics revealed the comedian and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. alumnus is writing the debut issue of an all-new Black Hammer series due out early next year. Oswalt is pinning Black Hammer Visions Issue 1, an anthology series that uses each issue to focus on a different member of the superhero universe originally created, excuse me, crafted by Jeff Lemire and Dean Ormston. Oswalt's issue, the first of eight one-shots in the series, will focus on Golden Gale, a character in the universe that essentially has reverse Shazam powers. By yelling, Zafram, <laughs> Gail transformed from a middle-aged woman to a child, getting to explore just one of the endless byways of the massive world of Black Hammer was a nerd romp of the highest order, Oswald said in a statement provided to Entertainment Weekly. I can't wait for you guys to read this. The funny man isn't the only big name taking a stab at one of these Black Hammer one-shots. Other creators attached to, to entries in the series include Jeff Johns, uh, Chip 
Sodsky. I don't even know how to pronounce Zarsky. it. Zarsky. Um, Cullen Bunn, Kelly Thompson, Mariko Tamika, Tamika and Cecil Castellucci. Castellucci? Hmm. As much as I love writing the world of Black Hammer, it's nothing compared to the thrill of seeing characters I admire bringing their voices to these characters that Dean and I created, Lamar added in a statement. Since his initial volume, the Black Hammer series has introduced a whole host of spinoffs, typically written by Lamar himself, with art from a rotating roster of guest artists. Four spinoffs currently having issues scheduled for release, including Visions. The other three are Skull Digger plus Skeleton Boy, <laughs> Colonel Weird, Cosmogog, and uh, let's see, Bar, what the fuck? Bar Rebellion, Red Planet. I have never heard of that one at all. When we spoke with Lamar earlier this year, the creator revealed he's on pace to do three new Black Hammer series a year. Damn. We seem to be running about three new books a year right now. That last wave was Colonel Weird, Cosmogog, with Tyler Crook, wait until you see his art on it. Barbarellan was Tate and Gabriel, and a new series that Dean is currently drawing, the writer told us. We now have two more uh, new series after these are all written and being drawn for 2021 by some amazing artists who will be new to the Black Hammer universe, and Tyler Crook is drawing another one, uh, another one after Cosmogog. He added... We also have one additional Black Hammer project coming that will feature a pretty unbelievable rogues gallery of talent that I still can't quite believe we were able to trick into working on Black Hammer stuff. Damn. So, and when did they say this was supposed to come out? Uh, uh, 2021. 2021. Interesting. Now, like I said, I never heard of that last one, uh, Barbara, yeah, um, Red Planet. But I have heard of Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy, Colonel Weird, but not uh, that one. Um, but might be interesting. Might be something I definitely want to check out. It's all. I mean, it's, it's funny. Patton Oswalt's been pretty multi-talented. Like he's written shows, he's directed. Yeah, shows, yeah. He's done stand-up comedy. He's a solid actor. He does a lot of voice acting too, and not like it mentioned. Like he's the star. Or he starred in, for a brief period, mm -hmm. uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he's also done voice acting yeah. for DC. He's done voice acting for Marvel. He's getting work wherever he can get it. Um, that's how I see it. Like, he's one of those type of um, performers that can just pretty much saturate himself over various genres and platforms and get that money while still keeping the level of quality up. All of them can't do that. But I find it interesting that um, he's writing now writing a comic book because I don't think he's done that before, right? So No. This, but, this I mean, he's new. written TV scripts and stuff, right? Right. So, I mean, to an extent, it's, it's it has a lot of similar it does. It processes. Does. It does. It definitely does. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to that. So, uh, on to the main event of the episode. The best of phase one, the worst of phase one, and the ugly <laughs> of phase one. So you want to start that? All right. So best of phase one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, it's like if I'm looking at an overall movie that I would say is the best of phase one. Right. The Avengers. 
Oh, yeah. It's just so iconic. It's like the first time we're seeing a full-on cinematic universe. Right, right. As we know it, especially for comics, right? Like, yeah. It's now... When, when they started Phase 1, when we're talking, like, Iron Man 1 and the Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. they didn't even plan for an integrated universe. They were given a budget, say, you get to make two movies with any characters except Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men. X-Men. Right. And it's like, just make two movies. That's your budget. You get this much, two movies. Beyond that, it was just make it happen. Right. And it became so successful that it spawned a cinematic universe. Not only are superhero movies just... its Even though they were kind of a genre at mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. it is a full-on genre of its own oh, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Before, it was like... It was a genre in the sense that you'd get one or two every Few you know years. handful of years. Mm-hmm. You'd get... You might get, like, the odd Blade movie or the odd X-Men movie. You'd get... You know, Batman every couple of every five years or so, you'd get a Batman right. movie. Every 10 years or so, you'd get a Superman movie. Right. It was just like you'd get them, but it wasn't necessarily a genre. Yeah, you could, you'd be hard pressed to, they, to they refer were to that as a genre. Movies. Yeah, they, it they wasn't. were action movies. They didn't do enough of them, and they weren't as diverse. Uh, they weren't diverse enough, I believe, to be considered a genre at that point. And now, it's straight up its own genre. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it was, like, the Avengers that really solidified that. We have a coming together of everything from, you know, Iron Man to Captain America. Uh We have S.H.I.E.L.D., Black Widow, and Hawkeye with Thor and Hulk. Like, we had so much going on. And it was a lot. They could have very easily screwed this up. Oh yeah, and and to be to be to be clear, um, it not only could they have very easily screwed it up. I appreciate the fact that the powers that be had faith in in the in the concept itself, because let's face it, there were a couple of those movies in there that did not necessarily live up, but a lot of us was like. Uh, we don't care. Keep making these because you're going to strike you gold eventually. Comic book exactly, movies. exactly. Then, and again, like some of the characters and everything, they they made us fall in love with them. Yeah, yeah. And that's what there was. Yeah, because you got you got Robert Downey Jr. Okay, who anyone that's familiar with his work previously, he has a mixed bag of roles. He he has some some very serious stuff, and he has some very campy stuff. Right, um, my experience with Robert Downey Jr. started with the weird science movies back in the eighties, where he played you know your typical um, uh, spoiled, uh, but trying to be edgy kid from a nice family and shit. Right, and he was like kind of a bully in in, in that movie along with his his homeboy. But he was funny. He still was funny in that role. And then I remember him from Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, where he was playing a supporting role um, um, at that point as Rodney Dangerfield's son, his, his not his son, but his son's best friend or whatever at the school. And he was very funny. 
So if you know anything about Iron Man, you kind of expect Iron Man's he's very quibby, right? So when they first um put him in that role, I didn't have any problem with it, me personally, because I remember him. My earliest remembrances of him was in kind of humorous roles, so I figured he could nail that part. Um, but to, to see exactly how far this shit has gone. Because he made yeah. it, he made it fun. He made it like kind of popular to, uh, for people to go and see this shit. And we got so accustomed to see. He is the iconic Tony Stark to us now, right? Um, let's talk about a couple of things. In fastness, the first Iron Man movie. Um, one of the scenes you you reference, uh, scene one with Tony and Doctor Hold Your Sin. Like, dude, epic. Yeah. That that scene is. That's one of those scenes where you can say it's one of the not only one of the best scenes of Iron Man one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but one of the best scenes in Phase One. Where oh, absolutely! At, where they're in the cave building the Mark One Iron Man armor. Yep, yep. And how he bonds with Doctor Ho Jensen, and just everything there. It's like he's sitting there talking. It's like we don't have time. It's like what do you mean? It's like no, stay here, stick to the plans. Like we don't have time. I'll buy you the time. And he just grabs the gun, runs out there, and stops all the Ten Rings terrorists right. from rushing right in while the armor was being booted up. Yeah. And then, like, his death scene there, and, like, Tony Epic. just sort of like, dude, no, you can't go. You can't go. What about your family? It's like, my family's already dead. I'm right. I'm going to see them now. Right. You. You. Make yourself proud, like just go on, and like that scene there was like, damn, because yeah. that was like, not only was it a key scene in the movie, but it was a key scene that shaped the character and every decision he made after that. Yep, every decision he made after that. That that scene is the is the the motivation for every decision, everything he did after that. That's that's a fact. That's a yeah. fact. And it's like, it's one of those things where, like, even in uh, Avengers, in Phase 1, the Avengers, where Cap even says, you're not the one to make the sacrifice play. And yet, in that movie, he makes the sacrifice play. But Mm -hmm. Iron Man 2, he's willing to make a sacrifice play. Iron Man 1, he makes the sacrifice sacrifice play. play. Right. And And it was all heavily because of Dr. Jensen. Right. Who made the sacrifice play so that Tony could make him proud and make the world proud, you know, to yeah. do good. It was that sacrifice play that influenced Tony all the way up until the end, his final sacrifice. Right. Play. Right. right. You know, in retrospect, cap has never been more wrong about somebody. <laughs> like, yeah. He's never been more wrong about somebody, you know? Um, one of the other things uh, I liked about it was the casting. Like, I think one of the things that is kind of um, overlooked is some of the supporting cast in that movie. The guy they had playing the leader of the Ten Rings, he was perfect. He was he oh, had yeah. he had the right balance of menace, you know, like um, um, uh, zealotry. He had the right mix of that, and for that. It's like with anything else, man. You got to make the bad guys have got to stick out. The bad guy, you've got to nail the bad guy. If you don't nail the bad guy, it's going to be hard for the whoever the the the, the hero is, 
whoever you cast as a hero yeah. to really grab people like that. Especially in a movie where it was like Iron Man. Yeah. Where it is like an action movie. Right. You need a good villain in an action movie. It's not like it's a spy thriller where if the villain's not necessarily the greatest, it's okay because it's more about the plot. Right. The right. action. But with Iron Man, that's an action movie. A tech-based, attacking gadget-based action movie. Facts. It's in the same vein as, like, you know, your earlier James Bond movie. Right. Or, again, your John Wick movies. Things like, it's in that vein. Even though this was before John Wick, it's it's that same style of movie. Right. And because of that, you need a good villain to make it work. You gotta have it. You just gotta have it. Um, I feel like even, um... Uh shit, the dude that um that played his his initial father figure in there. Um oh, Obadiah uh, Yeah, J- Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges was a great villain. Like he was a great villain. Um he I feel I felt like he had a perfect voice, his swag for it. He kinda came off as one of those type of um corporatist, you know. Uh, really super confident in his ability, you know, like kind of brilliant in his own right, but not anywhere near where Tony was. And he knew it. He knew it. He even said in the film, um, the goo called Tony the goose that laid the golden eggs. Right. That's where all the ideas were springing from that, that was, was keeping, keeping that company, company afloat and, and, and making money, money, you know, and, 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 and just, he also had, had the right balance, balance of menace. And he, he could turn, turn it off. off. He, he could be charming. Like when, like, like early on in the film, when, you know, his, his back and forth with Tony, he came off like the father figure. You know, like, come on, Tony, look. We got to do this, man. We got to, you know, that sort of thing. And then flip the script. When he was intimidating um, uh, 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 Pepper Potts, when he walks into the office with her, and she's trying yeah. to get the, the data onto the... um to the zip drive and it's like that sense of menace was still there even when he uh turned finally eventually turned on tony and tried to kill him and put that little device on him and shit that paralyzed dude that scene go watch that scene again it's awesome (laughs) it's awesome they did a really good job man Another scene that stood out for me in a very positive way was in Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. It was it was a very short bit. Right. And this partially goes into casting as well. Right. Is where uh, when Tony's synthesizing the new element for his – to replace the palladium for his heart. Right. And just the general conversation with Coulson. Oh, yeah. Just like, oh, I heard you broke free. Yeah, that was like three years ago. Where were you? <laughs> Busy. Classified? Or it's like, oh, enjoy yourself? Classified. Just that, that quick, that little, witty yes. one. Yes. It was all like one to two word back and forth. It was just so perfect. It, really well written. The pacing it was, was dope. Yeah. 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 Like, it was a great scene. Like, it's a memorable scene for me, even if it wasn't a scene that defined the movie in any way. It wasn't a scene that defined the phase, but it was just one of those scenes that kind of stood out it's for memorable. how natural that scene. Yeah, yeah. Like, just the back and forth between the two, because even when uh, uh, 
uh, Clark Gregg yeah. got the role as Phil Coulson. His, the original script, he only had like three lines. Wow. And then they ended up like, okay, well, let's try doing this. Let's try doing this. And they added a few lines throughout the whole thing. And he was like, yeah, I just – even afterwards, it's like I did not expect to have that many lines. Yeah, man. Like, and then like when he saw that scene, he's like, man, that was one of the ones where it was only like half scripted. It was just sort of – parts of it were scripted, but they wanted to see how the back and forth would go. Mm-hmm. And that was – what they chose it made the movie and it was like yeah it there's a reason that one made it into the movie because it was so natural it was, it was so well done it neither one seemed out of character right 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 and Clark Gregg is a a dope actor anyway I think he should not be slept on I've watched him in and in, in, uh what's that TV series um uh the adventures of old Christine and man, he's good. He's like in a comedic um, way. He's dope, man. He's really good. And I think that's the other thing Marvel did really well in Phase One. He they made somebody to connect the point. He was almost quite like um, we were. Like he represented the audience to a degree because he went in with these fantastic people with these fantastic skills and abilities, and he was getting to know them the same way we were. But he had secrets himself, you know what I mean, that that the audience was not privy to. So it was layered. And seeing him in every one of those those uh, phases and those movies connected all helped connect all of that shit together long before Iron Man mentioned Captain America or they even knew who Thor was. Clark Gregg became that connective tissue between them stories, and yeah. it, it was really well done. Like really well done. It was so good. Like I, I, I loved it, man. I, and I, and then, uh, I, you know, it, help, it helps later on. Scene. Yeah, but like the third biggest scene for me that really clicked and stood out. Mm-hmm. And again, when I think of the Avengers movie, yeah, this is the scene that stands out completely. Right. This is like the defining scene of the movie, and that's in the battle for New York. Mm-hmm. When they're all kind of beaten down a little bit. Right. All like trapped. They're on the bridge. And it's like they're coming up with the plan. And then Bruce Banner pulls up on the motorcycle. Yeah. And it's like the first time you really saw all of them together together as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And it just was so iconic that even now we're talking 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. That scene still stands out as one of the most significant scenes. You still get chills when MCU. you see it. You still get chills when you see it. When you see that, when them come together like that, and you see them, and as the camera pans around them, and they're all getting ready as they're being kind of surrounded by and the, you're uh, and, the music, dude, dude. It, it, listen, I'm gonna tell you something. I firmly believe that had Avengers failed, that might have been it. That might have been it. Like the studios probably would have been like. Eh, we're gonna do another Avengers movie. We might do some more of these individual character movies, but then, I don't know. We're gonna do that. Listen, that shit knocked it out of the park so much that I remember sitting there watching this shit going, Oh, they nailed it. They nailed it. Mid movie, 
they just did that. They did shit right. A classic example of things I mean by them doing shit right. The early opening scene where Loki makes his appearance on Earth. The conversation between him and Nick Fury, the way they described him, the way Eric uh, Slovic described who he was when they started shooting at him and the bullets bounced off. Because, you know, I was worried about that, right? I was worried they were going to really undersell their durability um, more than, than I knew. They, I knew they was going to do it anyway, but I didn't want it to be like, come on, dude, they're bulletproof. Let's not playing. Like, you can't just shoot a Asgardian or a, somebody from Jotun. You can't just shoot them and that's it. Stand that's up. the end of it. You know, that was a, that was a big deal for me. Um, to the point where once they did that, it made me feel good going further. Like, all right, so I got I'm feeling good about where this is going to go because they at least nailed. And that's a small thing to a lot of people, but it's significant to me because I really, I already don't like when they scale down the characters too much in the comic books. But if you can't make my man bulletproof, then I mean, what the fuck are we even doing here? Like, yeah, <laughs> like, what are we doing? You know? Just a dope, dope ass scene when um when they they wind up imploding the entire base. And, oh yeah. And, and 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 Nick was so resolute when he was like, "Yo, we at war. Like that's it. Like <laughs> that's it. That's it. Troubles are coming." <laughs> you know. Um, hold up for one second. I gotta pause this. All right. There we go. Um, but as as great as we think Phase One was, it's time to talk about some of the maybe. Oh, hold on a second, I still want to talk a little bit about the cast. Oh, okay, dope, 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 dope. Talk a little bit, like again, Clark Gregg and like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And everything. But there are so many people. Like, let's look at Tom Hiddleston, right? Yeah, man. He nailed Loki, and he like, originally went in for Thor. Yeah. You know? Like, look at some of the casting of these guys. And they're... Or, uh... Who was it? Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Oh, you know what? As Whiplash in Iron Man 2. I actually was was disappointed that they killed him. Why did they kill... Like, like, I was disappointed with it. Like, he had potential. You know, maybe he only wanted to do one of those movies. I don't know. But he had potential, man. Like, Yeah. So, it's like, if you look at the casting, just, there are very few misses on the casting. Yeah. Really good they, at that. Really good at that. They have a lot of strong casting, even when it's with guys who are considered relative unknowns. Mm-hmm. Like, again, Chris Hemsworth at the time was relatively unknown. Yeah, I literally only saw him in one movie before that, and that was the Star Trek um, reboot. Yeah, but you also realize, like, most of his acting experience came from, like, an Australian-based reality TV show. That figures. It was like a reality TV show. That's crazy when you think about it. That is crazy. And now he's one of the biggest names in Hollywood. Chris Evans, he had some big roles. Yeah. But never anything serious. No breakout roles. Never anything that was franchised. Yeah. Yeah, he was Human Torch in the first two Fantastic Fours, and those were just absolutely terrible movies. <laughs> yes, they were. All the Fantastic Four movies were just terrible. bad, man. Just bad. But man. it's like, 
he, even he jokes about how bad it was. Like he also had the role as the one X in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Mm-hmm. He had that role in not another teen movie. Yeah. 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 As, but it's like, as a whole, he never had any major breakout roles. He had no roles that made him the man. one of the it guys in <laughs> right, Hollywood. Right. Until Captain America. And then it was, no one could get enough of this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we got to know him through that because of that popularity. And I, listen, I follow him on Twitter. My man's on point most of the time, man. <laughs> He's all yeah. point. Like they're like the casting as a whole. In phase one, they did really well. There's a couple that are just like okay, could have gone either way. Right, right, right. Like, uh, who was it? The guy who played Justin Hammer. In- that could have gone anyway. He wasn't bad, and he, yeah, you know, he Sam had, Rockwell. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. Was- he wasn't bad. But you could have used somebody else, and we probably would have had the same, you know, same result. Yeah, like, he's, like he didn't do bad. It was just, I don't know. It, it it was one of those ones. Like it wasn't a bad call. It wasn't a good call. It was it was a call. It worked for what you needed it yeah, to. He was serviceable. But, he was serviceable. You know, in the role. You know, but it was just one of those ones that just never. It didn't make it a huge impact either way right and like the fact that something that was just it was okay is one of the misses yeah in the casting yeah tells you how well they handled it dude uh scarlett johansson man listen yeah i i did not know uh because she made her appearance in iron man 2 her first appearance in iron man 2 i didn't know who they were going to use for black widow it hadn't even be honest crossed my mind that Black Day was going to use her at all, right? Um, yeah. Because at this point, we didn't know there was going to be, you know, an Avengers movie. <laughs> like, we didn't really know that. But when, as soon as she was on screen, I was like, okay, the only thing she was missing was the, the Russian accent. The, the attempt she did at it wasn't all that great, right? But everything else was on fucking point. So, and even then, the Russian accent part didn't come in until the Avengers. Facts, facts. All facts. her lines were straight up as in English in Iron Man Two, and it made sense because she was a spy, right? So she would hide yeah. her origins, her a place of national origin, right? Yeah, it made sense. Really good job, really good job. Um, even um, the, the casting, casting of, of Pepper, Pepper Potts. Potts. Yeah, like a really. If it, it works, works. It, it works. works. They could have went and got, got some super dolled up fashion model type. I mean, after all, this is Tony Stark, you know. No, they got somebody that was right there in the middle, right there in the middle. She can. She and can I think. Play down. I think the big thing for. Uh... Oh man, it's gonna bug me. <laughs> Her name? What's your not to, yeah. Oh, shit. Dude, uh, yeah. I just had it pulled up, too. I'm so bad with all these names. Um, uh, hold up. I got you. I got you. I got the casting right here. Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, like, Gwyneth Paltrow, I think what made her so good is Pepper Potts. Mm-hmm. 
was the chemistry between her and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, she played the straight it, the straight role the very well. She played that very well. Like she played the because you know Tony would say something completely crazy. She played that the the straight man very yeah. well. You know, like, I'll just, but I uh, mean, it's also the fact that like if they didn't have that chemistry, even if she played the role well without the chemistry, true. you just wouldn't have had the spark that made you think like, okay, this is real, right? Like, right. And this I, I also think I also think they would have scaled her role down way more had they not like had she just been okay, and they still used her. She if she didn't pop off the screen the way she did with him and them role and them scenes, I think they would have definitely diminished her presence a little more. But because that chemistry was undeniable, you got to see more of her. And when they wrote the stories, they wrote the stories with that relationship in mind. How do we progress this? How do we evolve uh, uh, the the interactions between the two? And that largely has to do with your performance, man. If you go in there and you knock that shit out the fucking park, when they go to do right to write more, they think of you like, yes, we need her to do this. She can handle Right. Exactly. Now, in real life, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was a bit nutty. Um, I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> I'll be that guy. She's a bit nutty. Oh yeah. But in this role, I love it. I love her in this role, man. I love her in this role. Absolutely. So um. Anyway, I think let's talk about let's now let's go to some of the worst of Phase One. <laughs> okay, as a movie, The Incredible Hulk. Listen, that movie <laughs> and. and it sucks because I love the Hulk as a character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Edward Norton is a great actor. Yeah. And he plays the kind of roles that normally would be like for the Hulk with the split personalities, yep. Yep. like the different things. He plays those roles well. Right. But there was just something about him in this role. It didn't quite. No, no, no. I know what it was. Because like every, everything else in the movie I liked. And the reason why I didn't. So what screwed it up for me. Was the way he played a banner? Cause I, I'm, I like you, thought he's the perfect banner. He's physically per- perfect for banner. You know, kind of slim, like got that teacher kind of look. Cause you know he's one of those actors that can transform himself, and, and like, like he can be, he can come off as the little nerdy thing and lose weight and stuff, or he can bulk up a little bit and be the little more intimidating thing, like he's been in other um, um movies, right? But the, the reason that this bothered me, because I liked everything else around the movie, did it seem, is it me, or did it seem like he was just really dialing it in? Like, a lot of his delivery for some of the scenes, I, was, I wasn't, it wasn't Ed Norton-ish to me. And I was, I remember watching it going, damn, you kind of bland as Banner. Like, I don't, and I think I, you know, part of that also has to do with the fact that Edward Norton is very big on controlling the script, yeah. controlling yeah. the direction. That's true. And in this, and it's why he's he's hard to work with apparently as an actor. Yeah, because that's what I've heard. Like other directors don't want to work with him regularly after they do one or two yeah. things with yep. him. Other producers don't want to work with him really one or two after one or two things with him because. He basically wants to take control and change everything to what his vision of the movie should be right. when he's acting. Right. 
apparently nowadays he's been in some directing and he's not doing bad there and it's like with his control issues involving that stuff mm-hmm. it actually makes sense right for right. uh for him to play that kind of thing right but acting in this role he just did not do it he didn't bring it he and it's a hulk it. movie with lots of exposition yes and i don't mind exposition heavy movies you can, if you pull them off properly. if you pull it off properly right right but right. like a hulk movie with as little hulk as we saw <laughs> as much exposition <laughs> as there was <laughs> Did not work so well. You know what I think they were going for? And the thing is, is like, look at Captain America, the first one. Yeah. The first Avenger. It had plenty of exposition in it. It was an exposition-filled movie. Yeah. But it worked for the style of movie we're going with. I hated that movie. For Hulk, it did not. (laughs) I hated hated Captain America. I hated it. I did. I did. Look, I hated, um, well, I didn't hate Thor, but I didn't like it either. Yeah, like, Thor, Thor was definitely an honorable mention on the worst yeah. movie. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, not bad, but it was just for a movie that should have focused more on like a high fantasy background. Yep. It yep. really just why drag did him, not live up to that. Why drag him to a dusty small town that looked obviously like a movie set? That town looked dude, it looked like a movie set. It looked like some prefab with all the facade. It looked hollow as fuck. And I was like... Yeah, but it's like not even that. Like, yes, I get they wanted a bunch of the movie to take place on Earth and everything else. That's they wanted fair. a fish out of water um, trope. But you know? so much... But the amount of the movie that did take place in Asgard... Yeah. It didn't have that high fantasy feel. No. The parts that were in Asgard, you still should have had that feeling of wonder and holy crap. Yeah. Like you did with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Things like that. It's a high fantasy aspect, and they they missed the high and the fantasy part. You, you, know, you, know, why, you know why I think they, they fucked that up, too? Like, so the parts of Asgard that we got to see, for the most part, he was in the castle. And if he wasn't in the castle... They was over there by the Bifrost. And it's like, we don't get to see the character of the location. All we see is the set pieces, throne room, you know, um, and, and, and little other set pieces like that. But we don't get to see what's it like, a glimpse into what's it like to be an Asgardian. What's it like? And it's one of the, it's one of the main issues I actually had with, um, Superman, um, and the way they portrayed his alien origins. Same shit. It's like you're giving us this very uh, scaled down, vague notion of him being an alien. And then, but we're seeing him interact like some Midwest farm boy. A fish, the fish out of water trope is not even as much of an alien out of water. It's this Midwestern dude that came from uh, uh, Kansas and is in Metropolis now. So now we get we see that the, that fish out of water, but not the alien fish out of water thing. That's kind of how I felt with the Thor thing. It's like, yo, we didn't really get to see enough of Asgard to make us feel like when he was on Earth, oh, this is this is something. Like this is a god on Earth. No, I didn't get any of that from that. And and also, 
one of the things about the movie that bothered me too. This this being has spent 1,500 years thinking that he was king. He was the kingfish, the big guy. I'm Thor, you know, god of thunder, blah, blah, blah. He gets to Earth. He grabs the coffee cup. He breaks it, gets chastised by a mortal, and he snaps right in line. And it's like, nah, B. Like, no. The, no, not at all. The last time he was on Earth, you motherfuckers was looking at him like he was a god. Now he's coming here, you going to tell him what to No, I, I wasn't. No. They didn't do right. The only things that I liked were um, certain scenes that would that would... That would pop up like the fight against the um uh the the, the frost giants. Very Thor yeah. esque. You know, I like that part. But a lot of that other shit, man. Oh, him fighting the um the destroyer armor had to be one of the worst treatments of a big bad ever. Yeah. Ever. This is the destroyer armor. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? It, like, like I said, there's a reason why it easily could have been mentioned as the Yes. <laughs> yes. I went with the Incredible Hulk. Because it was more things wrong was, with it. It was more things wrong with Hulk. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at all the movies, even though there's timeline errors and everything else yes. throughout a bunch of them. Right. The Incredible Hulk is by far the most <laughs> of that. And that's, that's true. It's a fact. Because I actually tried to track down the actual timeline of everything for all the movies. You were hard-pressed yeah. to do that shit, weren't you, with that and movie? The Incredible Hulk timeline is by far just all over the place. Right. But, where it was supposed to happen in But terms in their of defense, when they did that movie, they didn't know. It was, it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. They, they didn't yeah, know. one of the other worst of Phase One things I could think of is a trend you still see now mm-hmm. in the MCU, mm-hmm. and it was the establishment of disposable villains. Right. With right. the exception of Loki, mm-hmm. not a single villain is really come back. Well, we do. We did have Red Skull eventually. You see Red Skull, but he didn't even come back as a villain. He came back as a minor cameo as the yeah, Guardian. Yeah, true, 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 true. You, you saw Ka- Thanos cameoed, and he did really appear as the villain in Infinity War and, and, and returned as Endgame. Right. But as a whole, all the villains are one-off villains, even ones that weren't killed. Yeah, you just never you hear never, see, never hear him again. Never see him. Justin Hammer, he gets arrested in Iron Man two. Yeah, you, you he as he's being hauled away, it's like you haven't heard the last of me. And that was the last of him. <laughs> you heard yeah, that? Of him. <laughs> hey, abomination! Where's the abomination? Right, like yeah. he didn't die. Yeah. Or the leader who they teased. Oh, they teased the leader, right? Right. They teased the leader. Uh, again, Hydra you kind of see as an organization. That's that's kind of fair. Yeah, yeah. But it's like again, Whiplash, as you said, Ivan Venko. Why would they ki- they kill them? So killed stupid. off, and he's done with. Yeah, it's done. And then the Chitari. Even yeah. though you see the the odd thing, like the remnants of their weapons or something else, right? As a whole, they're a massive alien 
force, and we did not 100% wipe them out. No, as a matter of fact, and all we did was push them back. Like, they literally, the, all the Avengers yeah. did was push them back. That's all they did. And, like, yeah, they closed the portal, so it might take a while, but it's like, there's no way that 100% of the ones who hit Earth were killed. This <laughs> is not, no, not at all. Not at all. And you just never see the Chitari again. And the thing about the Chitauri, corpses or like you, you oh, don't yeah, see, the only thing tech. you see is the remnants of their weaponry and their tech because they Not use that tech. shit for um they use it in Spider Man um Homecoming where you know the Chitauri tech when when uh the Vulture and his and his crew was clearing before, out shit before they turned evil yeah before they turned evil right right but you don't really like that's it. That's it. But yeah, it's like, and and that was established in phase one as how things were going to be. Right, right. And it's still there now. There's a few villains that you could potentially see return, like Ultron. Ultron could come back. Ultron, one hundred percent, he can come. He can come back because because of the way Ultron works. Yeah, yeah. They can, they can write a story. They can write a story. You know, make and make uh, it make sense with him. Oh, uh, what's his name from? Captain Marvel, the oh um fuck, Yon Rog, Yon Rog, yeah yeah, Yon Rog, he could come back. They, they don't kill him off. They mm-hmm. send him home. They don't kill him off. And yeah, it's the events of Endgame is like thirty years later, twenty five years later, and we what? really don't know. Well, well, this is what we do know. Like, um, we know that he could come back. He could come but, back. Look, Ronan the Accuser. They killed him. Yo, you know how mad I was when they killed Ronan? Like, I, look, everybody knows um, that Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is my favorite MCU movie, right? And it, it fights constantly with Winter Soldiers with me, right? But I was pissed when they killed Ronan. I was like, oh, y'all just going to kill him? So that's it. That's it, huh? <laughs> no more Ronan. Suffer in flashbacks and shit. Like, really? That's what we doing? Yeah. Like they killed Ronan, they killed Ego, the Living Planet. Again, a mistake. A mistake. Why would you do that? Again, I think Doctor Strange might be the one that still has a chance at villains because they didn't necessarily kill. No, Demarmo's not dead. Demarmo's not dead. Uh, they didn't really kill uh, Mordo. They actually set him up. Yeah, they set him. Yep. Yep. Villain. Yep. But it's like you even go into Black Panther. They kill Killmonger. They, they kill Killmonger. They killed um. Uh, and they don't kill him on screen, but he's about to die, and he was like, "We can." They we can kill, kill Claw, him. which which I thought was the dumbest shit. Claw is the moment um Andy Andy Circus gets on on screen, and he, he is such a good he's actor. Such a, he, he captures, he commands his whole everything from the humor. To all the physical stuff, yo, and they killed him. And the way they killed him, I thought was ho- was horrible. Uh, he just gonna get shot, huh? That's it. Y'all y'all gonna shoot him, and that's the end of Claw. Huh? That's it. I thought that was horrible, man. Like, why kill Claw? We 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 saw him. He look, Claw was good even in Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yeah, and that was a minor role. It was a minor role, and he was good in that. Like. So yeah, it's like they just 
they make their villains disposable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, again, they kind of tease Thanos, but, like, movies where he was the main villain, he had, as, as an actual villain, he has the most appearances outside of Loki, and that's two. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm not talking that cameo end scenes, like, I'll just do it myself right, and stuff like right, that. Right, right, right. Whatever else. I'm talking like he's the actual villain. You have two, and that's the most of any villain outside. Yeah, and of that's him. Guardians. Well, actually, three. Because in Guardians, he did have a scene. That's one of the, to me, the monumental the scenes, scenes in Guardians, Guardians where he's, uh, where he tells Ronan um, that if you come to him again empty handed, he will bathe the starways in his blood. <laughs> like, that's yeah. pretty, yeah. You know, even then, Thanos wasn't necessarily the main no, villain. No, he wasn't the main villain. He definitely wasn't. It yeah. was, you had Ronan and you had Nebula. Right, right. Like, yes, Nebula was supposed to end. Ronan were both agents of Thanos in this case. But, but not the Thanos main villain. wasn't the villain. Yeah. He was the overarching villain, but not the villain. So, I, I absolutely love Nebula to too. I, I love Nebula. I think, yeah, especially like her her progression as a subplot is pretty fucking dope. It's pretty fucking dope. Yeah. So, is there any other ones you can think of that's for like a worst of Phase One? Mm, I have people that would argue that um. That some parts of Cap was, but I feel like it's. I don't. This is how. I, this is my feelings on Cap. I didn't like the movie, not because it didn't represent Cap. It absolutely, absolutely did. It was true to the character. But I was never that big of a Cap fan. I didn't become a Cap fan until Winter Soldier. <laughs> like that's when I was like, oh no, nah, I'm a Cap fan now. So maybe I went in there already with. You know, I'm not a big fan of this character. So, yeah, like, you know, see it, but it's it's part it's of the, it's, it's comic book. It's, yeah, I gotta go see it. But I, maybe that's what it was for me. Um, but it, it wasn't until Winter Soldier where I really looked at him in a whole different light. It was like, oh yeah, Captain America will whip your ass, like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I, I get it. I get it. Super Soldier. He's gonna beat your ass. Like I get it. I get it. Totally get it. Totally get and it. And then, so we'll we'll go on to the ugly, the controversies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of them was the initial hiring of Robert Downey Jr. Talk about it. And that's because. Before the MCU, before he was basically given a chance to really rehabilitate his image, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he had a rather uh, bad history and reputation because he'd sobered up and everything. He so was a that's mess. A big part. But he was into drugs yeah. all the time. Yeah. He was constantly drunk. He was getting thrown out of hotels. Yeah. He was actually yeah. barred from Japan. Like he was not allowed to enter Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Until shortly after the Avengers, when they was basically he was allowed in mm-hmm. for like I think they let him in for like five days just to do like the press. Yeah, the press, the press tours there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the ban is fine is has been lifted now, but it was he had been banned from Japan for something like fifteen years. Dude, I put to you, I put it to you guys like this. Go watch any scene. You don't gotta watch the whole movie. You can literally go on YouTube and just watch his watch his scenes in the movie Less Than Zero. 
That was him in real life. That was him. He was a fucking mess. But that's also the reason why I thought he was great for the role because Tony Stark has had his issues with alcohol yeah. and shit. You know, like look at Demon in a Bottle storyline, yep. which was a minor subplot of Iron Man Two. Yep, his yep. alcoholism and everything else, and you sort of see that in the beginning parts mm-hmm. because it's like he thought he was dying and just didn't care, didn't give a fuck. Right, right. But yeah, but that like, was controversial, let, man. Let's put it this way. If if the internet and smartphones and things as we know it now were around back then, yeah. if you thought Britney's 2007 meltdown was that's bad... That's a fact. That's a fact. That, that's, that's good. That's good. That's kit, That's kitten play compared yeah. to what RDJ was doing. Yeah. Same with like the Lindsay Lohan meltdowns. Mm-hmm. Nothing compared to what RDJ was. He was hardcore. And, he was hardcore. And... Again, the best thing for him was the fact that there isn't this 100% media presence all the time yeah. around when he did that. Yeah. If if that was around back then, even the MCU wouldn't have been able to help fix it. No, nah, because it would have been, been too even, much even footage. If, even if he was fully rehabilitated and informed, yep. as he is, yeah. as he is, even if he did all that same amount of work and everything else, it still would have been such a okay. PR nightmare mm-hmm. that they could not have hired him. Right. And it, it's it's a shame. Like, yes, we get content 24-7. The downside is, is if you make – if you happen to hit that downward spiral, mm-hmm. you're done. Yeah. Because it's that 24-7 content. That's a fact. That's a fact. Like that shit lasts forever. Um, th- th- that all of that footage of people with a fucking phone camera in your face chronicling all your fuck ups. That shit lasts forever. That shit goes on YouTube. Goes wherever. It people will be able to pull it up forever. But because he's old man Downey and was getting his career started way before most of the people that became popular the MCU did. He got to do a lot of that shit before, you know, the invention of all of that. So they but definitely brought then, him back. The casting of him did have some. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah, there were a bunch of people who liked it, the casting, but what there was mean? still a lot. Like, look at his history. Look yeah, he's at not going to do done. this right. Right, this is not going to. We don't. How do you know he's even going to? Right, it was a whole thing. Yeah. I remember it. I remember it was a whole thing part of it we we touched on briefly but it was the first few movies of phase one it was a making it up as As they go go. (laughs) because again they were given us a budget for two movies Mm -hmm. because remember marvel studios at the time was considered a small indie right company right it was not a the big juggernaut studio. that it is now. And yeah. they, they struggled to get any kind of funding. No one wanted to take the risk. No one wanted to help them out. Yeah, people was like, and, men in spandex? Nah, B, we not, we yeah, not funding it, that. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> right. So they were basically given a limited budget. Like, this is your total budget. Make two movies with it. And then it kind of picked up. So there wasn't an initial vision for an interconnected universe until uh, the Hulk was almost completely filmed. Yeah. Like, or was what was completely filmed 
and they were almost done editing and mastering and everything else of it. Right. When they decided, holy crap, Iron Man was such a hit, and everyone loved that scene with uh, Sam Jackson coming mm-hmm. in his fury at the end credit scene, mm-hmm. that, that they actually filmed a last-minute end credit scene to get Sam Jackson in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it was a little. Those first two movies and then Iron Man 2 was really what led to them actually planning a universe around it. Right, right. So, again, that's part of the mess of the first few movies is the fact that it wasn't scripted originally as a universe. Right. I gotta say, though, um, because I have written... Uh, a, a comic book now. It as much as as messy as that is for like the movie genre. It's pretty much kind of the way it is when you write comic books. So, like a lot of the lore that I eventually wind up writing because I've written written like probably about between ten to a hundred thousand years of lore for my character and the race of people that he comes from, and a lot of that came from the initial writings. I'm pulling from shit that I wrote originally. Okay. All right, I'm going to flesh this out. Okay, I'm going to make this a thing. Okay, you know. So, for comic books, it kind of works. For movies, not so much. Because we've seen with a lot of the errors in the timeline what that does when you don't have it planned out. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Kevin Feige, every, um, every year, he snatches up a lot of the writers, the directors, the actors, and they go up to this cabin and they up there for like a weekend or some shit and they hash out timeline, thing like that, because they don't want to repeat <laughs> what, what happened before, you know? So And now yeah. we're at the point where Fuga said they've planned out like another 20 movies. Yeah. Like they'll adapt things as they need to, but right. they have they have their general story. They have a roadmap. They have a roadmap. For right. the next 15 years. Yeah. Right? Like 10, yeah. 15 years. Yep. So they're prepared for this. Yep. Now. Trust the process. <laughs> uh, at the time, it was considered really controversial. Mm-hmm. But between Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2, they recast... James Rhodes, aka and, and why War did Machine. and why did they do that? Because Terrence Howard <laughs> wanted to make more money than Robert Downey Jr. See, and this for is playing War Machine. See, see, I will argue at this point that Terrence Howard was Ray Ray before Ray Ray was. Listen, listen, you don't get the dude. I like Terrence Howard. I do. I like him as an actor. I've seen him in quite a few things. I think he's dope. However, that's Robert Downey Jr. And even then, his resume was longer than yours. And he was the principal um, character. The fuck you think this is? <laughs> what do you think this is? Is you going to make more money than Robert Downey Jr.? Stop it, man. And that was a mistake. Because if he only just pl- knew his role and shut his mouth, 
he would have ended up with a bigger role. Yeah. It's like, look what Don Cheadle has done. Yeah. And where he's at now. Yeah. He started yeah. off again. Iron Man 2, he had a bit of a bigger role. Yep. Then we're starting to look at uh, he had that role in Civil War. He had a not a big role, but it was an important role in Civil War, especially the tail end of that. Right. Then it goes into Infinity War and Endgame, and now they're looking at making as they start phasing out some of the original guys. Right. You're starting to see where these guys are going to start making the main roles. Right. So all of a sudden, you're looking at the next generation of Avengers. You're going to start seeing James Rode as a main role, a war machine as the main, as a main role, as the main armored guy. Right. You're going to start seeing spider-man more often you're going to start seeing some of these other guys a lot more often now right because they start phasing out these characters that they get these big roles now they're not the small guys they're not the little guys anymore and And, don Cheadle, if if any of you are familiar with his work is a phenomenal actor yes you know so I, i think it was a it was an upgrade even though at the time I was like, this is weird. This is weird. <laughs> right. But I knew who Don Cheetah was. I, knew, I saw his other work, but I was like, Rody, nah, man. No, actually. But he pulled it off. He pulled he, it off. <laughs> he pulled honestly, it off. he pulled it off better than Terrence yes, Howard did yes. in the first one. And you know, you know the reason why I think that was? I think it's because, you know, for this role, you have to have the whole gambit and range of emotions when dealing with Tony. Because Tony's life is like a fucking roller coaster. In order for you to be his best fucking friend, it's not just enough to have the chemistry with the jokey joke back and forth. Right. And Don yo, Don Cheadle was just great at it. And to me, the the culmination of how great he was in this role was in Endgame. Because he let the humor all out. The, the conversation about time travel and shit like that. Hilarious. Absolutely but hilarious. Some of the more serious stuff, like his conversation when they were on mission with Nebula. Yes. Yes. It was, it's like, yeah, I understand what it's like to have to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. you look at his legs. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. He basically needs... He doesn't necessarily need a replacement for his leg, but without that limited bit of armor in his yeah. leg, he can't walk. He can't walk. Oh, it what, helps support his weight. What about the like, scene with him and Nat when he was searching for Hawkeye for her? To be yeah. able to pull off the worried, you know what I'm saying? The the the, the, the yeah. worried, like I don't so, think Tars could have did that. That was, a, that was a good replacement. It was a good replacement, but it was controversial. Yes, it was absolutely. And same with the second major replacement. Yep, which was where they replaced Edward Norton. I was beefing with Mark Ruffalo. I was beefing about that too. Initially, I was like, "Who? Who?" And funny, funny enough, though, Edward Norton, when he knew he wasn't coming back, mm-hmm. actually recommended Mark Ruffalo to replace. Damn it! I did not know that. He, he knew he wasn't coming back. It was because it was partially him too. Like he wanted more as, money. He wanted more money. Much, well, no, he he wasn't the money. He wanted the control of his. Oh, that's stuff. right. Okay. And, and like 
they basically talked it over. He knew he wasn't coming back, but he hadn't officially been fired. Right. Type thing. And it was sort of like, okay, I'll go. We'll go our separate ways. This just isn't going to work between us. But use this guy. But this guy, this guy here, he'll be a good replacement. Yeah. And, he, and, and, he, now, and we, now he's one of my favorite like, actors in the MCU right now. So, And he was a good replacement. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. He was a great replacement. Like that was a good call. Good call. Absolutely. I'm gonna skip ahead to this last one here because <laughs> it also involves casting. Right. The casting of Idris Elba as Heimdall. Controversial. It it was because again, I I kind of understand it. You're mm-hmm. looking at what is you know, Scandinavian mythology. Right. Heavily in like even though the Scandinavians did historically have interactions with black people, they knew of them. Mm-hmm. And they the ones who weren't slaves were actually treated as equals. Right. They weren't common. Their mythology and their their mythological characters were never anything other than white. Right. They look like so, their gods look like them. Yeah. Basically. But here we are with Idris Elba being cast as Heimdall, as a black Asgardian god. Right, right. So there was a lot of controversy about that. And a lot of it, for me, I felt like people were just, um, people were feeling a way about it because these uh, deities were at one point actually worshipped. And it, look, to be clear, they're still worshipped in some parts of the world. It's a very small amount of people to do, but they're still worshipped in parts of the world. My issue at the time with, with how the vitriol was that I had to sit there and watch Gods of Egypt with people that clearly, come on, dog. Like, like and, and this ain't even the first time that's happened yeah, in Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> right? This is not even the first time. It's just, I don't know, man. It was a, it was a double standard, but the reality of the, of the, of the situation is it was controversial at the time. We saw yeah, mad blogs about it. it. People did YouTube videos, all of that. It, it did work out. Mm-hmm. Even if there was a bit where Idris Elba thought Heimdall should have a bit of a bigger role than what he did. He was wrong. And that... that he was wrong. Eh. Him down, unless you were going to do like, uh, uh, unless they planned on doing certain storylines in Thor, Hemdall's role is what it was. Matter of fact, I think he did pretty good considering in the comic yeah, book. Did, yeah, you he know, did good for his role. But yeah, he he did kind of want a bigger role. I understand in there, and it's like that. That's kind of fair. Yeah, but. The biggest controversy about him was the fact that it was a black man playing a white god. Right. Right. But there was one line here that <laughs> even now it kind of gets yeah, unnoticed. It does. It does. It, it does. But the people who noticed it raised a lot of fuss about it. Yeah. And that was when in The Avengers, <laughs> when Loki called Black Widow a, a mewling quim. <laughs> Now, for those of you who don't know what it is, Quim is another term for vagina. Yes. He basically just called her a cunt. Yeah. Yeah. And that is like not basically called her a whining cunt. 
Like, and that is not something you no, do lightly. No, especially not and, in this type of movie. Yeah. It's... But it, they pulled it off because most people don't know what Quim is. So when it happened, most people kind of just it passed them. The shit's been like, around it went over their head. That that term has been around since the Victorian era. Yeah, because it was a Victorian term. Yeah, again for vagina. But doesn't it make? If you think about it, it's one of the biggest one of the biggest Easter eggs in that movie because if you look at the way as Guardians has traditionally been written. To speak as, they used a lot of Victorian, the, thou, they used a lot of that shit. So to me, this was a big Easter egg because uh, in those movies, MCU, you don't see Thor and them using the and thou and all that. You don't see that. So to me, that was just the Easter egg. (laughs) Yeah, but you can see why it was controversial. Dude, of course. Like that shit. It's insulting as fuck. Like, like it, it's it's sexist. It's and and mind you, you know when Avengers came out, that that was during a time when it was an awakening, right? Of yo, you just can't be talking shit to people like that based on their identity. Like, if I'm gonna talk shit about you, it's got to be based on what you did, your behavior, how you act, not on who you and what you are. And in effect, that's what he did right there. He insulted what she was and reduced her to sexual body parts. So, and, yeah. I mean, ultimately, Black Widow won that encounter. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> she walked out getting exactly what she went in there for, which right. is information. Right, right. But the overall thing, they could not pull a line off like that right. today. No, hell no. Hell no. Hell and it's no. One, it's one of those things, like, in this case, it's like, it makes sense, and they didn't, they handled the situation fairly tastefully. Yeah. But, given the whole family-friendly aspect that Disney really tries to push, yeah, and especially now, yeah, they could not use that line nowadays. Facts. Facts. And it's like, yeah, there was the line like in Iron Man 2 when Senator Stern w- was giving uh, Tony and Rhodes the awards. And when he purposely stabs Tony, he's like, it's amazing how much of a pain a little prick. <laughs> and it's like, that one didn't get as much. No, nah, I didn't. No, nah, I didn't. That, that got very little comment on it little to none despite despite the fact that it was in a similar vein yeah yep yep Yep. but i still don't even think you'd see a line like that nowadays either nah i doubt i mean it's possible not in those movies though but not in those movies yeah 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 i I doubt it i doubt it like it's, it's possible you might see it but it'd be even then that's one of the few times that we saw something like that and notice how we haven't really seen anything nope, like they that. They ain't pulled that shit since <laughs> since, phase, since the early phase one days. Facts. They ain't pulled that shit since. You don't you don't have a standout line like that um in any of these other um 
a movie's past phase one. You just don't. You just don't. And and, and I think too, you know, once they started make, really making money, and Disney was like, okay, this is a cash cow. So now uh, there are some standards. Like we refuse. It's a franchise now. You're not gonna ruin the franchise with, with this little bullshit. So they're monitoring it heavier now. But I will say this. One thing I can say about overall phase one and how, how you know, the whole product has eventually evolved is I was very suspect initially when Disney purchased that shit. I was like, oh, jeez, we're going to see Mickey Mouse with adamantium claws and shit. But respectfully, people can people can feel about the way they want. I haven't seen the overbearing um, influence beyond what was expected, what should be basically expected. Like, there's certain things they're not going to do. But I haven't seen the overbearing Disney influence. It still feels like comics to me. And that's what I was that, worried about. And part of it was heavily because they kind of let Kevin Feige do his thing. Exactly, exactly. In fact, when he was about to quit, they made sure, no, we're going to make this. We'll separate it from Marvel itself. Right. Marvel Studios is its own entity. Right. You're in charge. Do your thing. Just stay. Right. We'll let you. You've done this so far. You get full control. We're not going to interfere with you. Right. And that, that worked out. It's worked out really off. well. It paid out. And now so he's controlling all of it, right? And despite the worst of stuff, it was still really good. Really it successful. Was, it was enjoyable, too. It, like, it was, yeah, it was you successful. Can watch it. And I, I still can watch it now because I watch it through the eyes of nostalgia. That's, that's one. Also, because now having the full context of, of these first four phases. It's it's classic to me now. All that shit is classic. Even Thor has become classic to me now because of the overall narrative. Like, I have to... If I'm going to do a timeline watch of the MCU and I have to go through phase one first, I have to watch these movies to get the entire context of everything and to get that initial feeling that I got by the time we were done watching Endgame, the cascading effect of all of those other phases before it all settled in into these payoff scenes into this fan service. So phase one was extremely successful and as far as crafting the narrative, as far as, uh, from a, a, a financial standpoint, which was important people, people, I think people kind of undermine that when they talk about it, but if it had not made money, we wouldn't have got all this co- other cool shit. So, Overall, I am happy with what they did with Phase 1. Is there things I would have done different? Sure. But, of course, you got to take that with a grain of salt because Phase 1 set the stage for all this other shit that we got now. For the possibility of there being not just more superhero movies, but connected universes. And even though some of these other companies have not quite <laughs> have not quite nailed it, I would still argue that if not for phase one, we wouldn't have got the exceptionally well done CW connected universe. So, too, you know, if you if you look at even just box office numbers, right? 
at the time, it wasn't uncommon for a lot of box office. It was rare for movies to regularly hit a billion. That's a fact. That's that's a fact. That's and a fact. Despite that, they still had Avengers hit 1.5 billion. Crazy, insane. And it, that was really uncommon at the time. Right. Phase one still hit 3.8 billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like Iron Man made five hundred eighty-five thousand. Right. Incredible Hulk made two hundred sixty-four thousand. <laughs> Iron Man two made six hundred twenty-four thousand. Huh. Thor made four hundred forty-nine thousand. You mean a million? Ke- no. Oh. <laughs> this is the first one. <laughs> first one. We're not. We're not talking Thor four here because I can see that happening at this point. <laughs> Everyone's so stir-crazy to watch something that it might happen there. Yeah, yeah. Like, even the first Cap America, the first Avenger, hit 370,000. Yeah. And then Avengers hit 1.5 billion. Crazy. Like Insane. Like, Avengers made almost a third of the money of Phase 1. Yeah. Well... A little over a third. So it's like it's crazy. It's it, it, it's a win of monumental proportions, um, and I feel like it changed it changed the face of not just cinema but comic books. Because if you look at the way the comic books, especially in Marvel, are being written now, they're definitely making them a, li- a bit more uh, user friendly. For the movie yeah. crowd, right? They, they, they've done outright tie-in comics. Yep. But, which are usually a handful. Like, uh, the first Iron Man had, like, two issues of a tie-in comic. Right. Iron Man 2 had three. Well, technically four, but there was three for Iron Man 2 for public identity. Mm-hmm. And then there was a fourth one that was basically Iron Man 2, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Captain America had four issues. Avengers had... Uh, you had Fury's Big Week, which was four issues, but mm-hmm. it was split into eight on digital. Right. And then you had Marvel's Avengers Black Widow Strikes... Which right. was three issues. Then you had like, so ultimately you had seven issues there. Mm-hmm. Then you had an additional Iron Man two, two issue thing. So right. ultimately six issues for Iron Man two. You had two more issues for First Avenger. Two more issues for Thor. Uh, Hulk didn't actually get one of the tie-ins in Phase One. No. But then you also had the three Phase One short films. Right, they did. Like, right. The consultant, a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's yeah, yeah. Item 47, right? Like, yeah. And those those were also great. Like, I love those little one-shots. I'm actually a little sad they don't keep doing that. They anymore. need to keep doing it. I, I, like, I, I strongly They don't do it shit. anymore. Nope. And that that was a phase one and early phase two thing. It's also, you know, when I, when I saw them doing uh, stretching out, but that sort of content right there, I, I always thought dope because it reminded me of kind of the way the structure of comic books is. You can have some little one-off right here, one shot here, shit like that. 
it was know? never anything super big. It was mm-hmm. just a little like, hey, man, here we have, you know, again, funny thing happened on the way to Thor's hammer. It's just Coulson driving down to Texas. Or, yep. Yeah. Yep. Texas? I think was it was it Oklahoma. I think it was Oklahoma. No, where, where – uh, where Thor's hammer landed, I thought that was Texas. Um, let, let's let's see because I thought they used Oklahoma because of the comic book reference for that small town that Thor um raised Asgard up on that small town. Let's see, uh, Thor one uh town. Mm-hmm. Puanto Antigo. What the fuck? Oh, New Mexico. That was in New Mexico. Okay. All New right. Mexico. Bet. But yeah, and it's just him driving on the way to New Mexico, stopping at a store to go grab some snacks and mm-hmm. fill up on gas, and seeing a robbery take place and stopping it. Like, it was a simple five-minute thing, but it was just so nice. And it, it, it like I said, it, it, it was, reminds it was, me it was of... Cool. It was cool. It's a one-shot. It's a comic book one-shot done in yeah. video format, you know? Really well done. So, um, I think, and he's celebrated enough as it is, but I don't think, for me as a comic book fan, he can ever be celebrated enough. Kevin Feige, um, Marvel Studios, even Disney. I, 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 you know what? Disney won points with me for, from that because I wasn't a big Disney, whatever. Disney won a lot of points for having faith in the product like that and, and, and doing and being involved with that. So, it was it was it was successful as hell. Very appreciative for a person as a comic book fan like me to see them take that shit as seriously as they did and put the actual backing behind it so we would get things that we wanted. Did we get everything? No, but we're adults. <laughs> like you don't get everything in, in life for real. We make sure you can get everything in. We got enough and we're getting more. So yeah, definitely yeah. gotta shout them out, man, because But to top it off, like they actually did some books like actual novels yeah. and stuff yeah relating to the MCU like filling in some of the gaps mm-hmm. they've done obviously a bunch of video games based off of some of the earlier stuff like yeah. Lego Marvel's Avengers right and was uh loosely based let's not mention the the Thor game that came out for the um first movie let's oh, never God. mention that horrible <laughs> But yeah, they did like an Iron Man Hulk, Iron Man 2, yep. Thor, and Captain America. Yep, which game. is another game. You should never mention the Captain America game. Hi, you're super soldier can't jump over a table. Never mention the Captain America game. Never. Yeah, and then, like I said, you had Lego Marvel's Avengers, the 2016 one. It was... It had a bunch of Easter eggs relating to the MCU without directly being... MCU. Right, right. So that was also kind of nice. Like, yeah, you got video games, but like we got books and novels and guidebooks to the universe. Absolutely. You got comic book tie-ins. You got these short films. Plus, we got the start of like the first major cinematic universe. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to complain. Outside of this, you got a few franchises I think the closest thing to a cinematic universe before this would have been the Alien and Predator universe. Yep, that's it. Because that's they, it. they were the same universe, and that was confirmed with Alien versus Predator. Right, exactly. 
Yeah. Like, even then, that was mostly just two separate franchises that later got combined. Right. It's not, not like, like they you, initially you thought. You had, like, Hellraiser franchise, Freddy, or the Friday the 13th franchise. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, yeah, you have those franchises that kind of build their own universe in that franchise, but there yeah. was nothing interconnected quite the way that the MCU was until the end of Phase 1. Right. Right. And again, that's something we got to thank um, Marvel Studios and them for. Um, and that's why I said one time before at the, when, when they did Endgame, um, when I saw some people who had criticisms about it to the point where they were acting as though they didn't, they didn't like it, I said, I feel bad for you to have gone 10 years watching all of these and then get to the last movie and you not like it. Because for me, it was like a fulfilling event for all the shit I had watched for that previous 10 years that capped it off nicely for me. And we wouldn't have any of that if it hadn't have been for the first phase. So, and here's the thing though, it's like, if I'm looking at everything mm-hmm. as individual movies, and we will touch on this in a later episode when we touch on phase three, right? but individual movies, I feel infinity war was the better movie. Me too. But me too. Absolutely. End, end game was a great conclusion to everything. Yeah, it, and I feel like if you watch everything up and it did that well. Yeah. And it it was a good movie, but, but if I I'm, think you got to watch this is one way that Infinity I Infinity War is the better movie. Of course. Ultimately. I always look I start looking at Infinity War as and and Endgame as the as one whole movie. So if you put it in the context of part one and part two of a movie, they slid all that. Watch all of those together. Because then those that had the criticisms about it, because one of the criticisms I heard was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard in my life, is the motherfucker saying that uh, that Endgame just just appeared um, as far as the way that um, they did the scenes and with no um, with nothing about the previous shit. I'm like, are you fucking nuts? They gave you 10 years of setup. <laughs> you just got yeah. a movie the previous year. You know what? It, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. So I like when you watch it as one whole, as a matter of fact, I'm going to, um, cause I actually have both those movies on my um, hard drive. What I'm probably going to do is just put them together, put them, like get into my, um, my um, video editing shit and just put the motherfuckers together. Just put them together. <laughs> you know? As one movie. One movie. One movie. But yeah, man, I think that's it for us. Um, yeah. I definitely want to thank everybody that's been listening to these episodes and also being patient with us. Um, I know sometimes they're, they're a little late. Uh, it's a lot of stuff happening over here on my end. So it's kind of, you know... I'm trying to do my best to, to, to keep these things uh, uh, at a, in a reasonable amount of time so they're not too damn late. So it might be a day late or something like that. But I appreciate you guys constantly listening. Um, you got anything going on that you're trying to promote? Uh, not right now, no. I'm working on some new music. So hopefully I will get that done in oh, a reasonable if amount if of time. we're going to promote something, let's just uh, shout out our man Adequate. Absolutely. YouTube gaming channel. Eddie's game he's room. Actually, he's putting up 
actual recorded YouTube videos instead of just live streaming Trailing, like yep. it was before. Yep. Yep. And our man SPJ, who just put out a music video. Go check him out. Go check him out. Um, the name of that video is Contemplation. That's yes. the name of it. Go check out SPJ's channel on YouTube. Um, it's his artist uh, channel. Just look up SPJ. It'll be right there. Also, um, go check out the Black Culture Geeks podcast. Uh, you can find that on Spotify. Really, anywhere that podcasts are played, you can find Black Culture Geeks. Um, and yeah, man, um, we got a lot more content coming from um, Multiworld. Uh, even though the world is crappy as fuck right now, we still got to keep producing content. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so for my man, Super Side Guy, I am Tombstone.